You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's guest is my friend, Susanna Schneider. So this one is very special for a multitude of reasons. We haven't had a guest like Susanna on before, and I'm more than sure you're going to love this talk. She's lived a life where she's worked as a farmer in New York City, a sentence many would find to be an oxymoron, but it's exactly that that made me want to have her on because on this talk, we go into just why that isn't the case, of why that isn't an oxymoron. Along with her career in agriculture, she also has a fierce passion towards nutrition as one of the most informative people you could ever hope to meet in regards to eating smarter and more creatively. Even though we have a lot of musicians on this show, our only requisite is that people have stories to share, and Susanna fits that bill beautifully. This is the 405 Exchange with Susanna Schneider, Enjoy. So you're going to think that I'm joking, but I've actually been wanting to have you on for quite a long time. I I believe you. <laughs> well, I mean, there'll be an intro to this, but you work as a farmer. Well, have worked as a farmer. And I think what's really interesting about that beyond a myriad of things is the fact that most people, myself included, don't know shit about farming. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you're aware of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that something you notice with people? Like when people, when you tell people what you do, do you almost see like wheels turning in their head where it's kind of like there's almost no context for it? A little bit. And I sort of felt the same way for a long time, actually. Um, my my mom's side of the family is from Indiana, Midwest. They're they're all farmers. My mom and her three sisters grew up farming, and then they all turned eighteen and got the hell away from the farm because they uh, they just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Um, and and that that cultural knowledge was lost pretty quickly in my family and was never passed down to me. Um, and once I started getting interested in food and agriculture and just going back to the source, I realized very quickly that I sort of had no clue of the mechanisms to take a seed and turn it into your dinner eventually. Um, and it, yeah, it does seem, it does seem very far flung and sometimes still seems a little um, hard to wrap my head around. But the cool thing about farming and, and eating is that you do it, you eat for the rest of your life, right? Um, and farmers are always learning there's always something more to learn so yeah yeah i'm sorry i'm gonna be a little nervous as i get no, going here it's okay so please. all right i'm no. just gonna say that but yeah no. yeah no but tell me this then because i mean for, like i'm always curious about like origins and how things start and you mentioned like that familiar tile tie with uh, farming with your family was that kind of like the seed i mean not to there are so many puns (laughs) so many you can never stop with the puns was that essentially like the seed that kind of planted that that was planted like the idea of it into your mind or what was it that initially intrigued you to even seek it out as like a thing to do um yeah great question um i so i went vegan in high school and that was sort of my um my foray into thinking about food um and how it, it impacts 
um, not only yourself, but the world around you and um, the planet at large. Um, and so I, I got to thinking about food and sustainability and climate change and thinking about ways that we could, this was, this was back when there was still hope, you know, to curtail climate change. Um, I think we're a little past that point perhaps, well but so I, I was thinking about, well, what, what can I do with my life? Um, supposed to go and have some sort of respectable job, right? So I guess I will uh, work in sustainability of some sort as it relates to food. And so I wound up um, coming up to New York. I was living in New Orleans for undergrad um, and then decided to get my graduate degree right after college. Not a lifestyle choice I would recommend for anyone, really, because <laughs> um, you just don't know anything and then you're thrown into more schooling and uh, I don't know, you, you wind up sort of a know-nothing in the practical world, but, um, so... Says the farmer, though. We'll get there. So, <laughs> so I came up here for grad school, um, NYU was a food studies program, so I, I got my master's there and came upon this job with a catering company, um, it was like a sustainability, um, role, and I had no idea what that entailed. I thought it would be, like, composting at catering events and local sourcing, but um, this catering company had a farm and uh, managed a, um, a very large-scale workplace CSA, Community Supported Agriculture um, Program, which uh, your girlfriend is a... <laughs> Are you a member or you're I'm just not, aware that it's... But around? I'm aware it happens okay. at the company. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, so I got sort of sucked into this, this weird world of farm food distribution in New York City to... 30 some odd offices and like really corporate places, really quirky places, um, mostly in Manhattan, like below 60th Street. Um, but there were, there were some forays uptown to deliver to Sotheby's. And so I was managing that for a couple seasons um, and realized that I can't be, I, I can't be working with um, local food without actually knowing how it works like the the very small and precise but um but large yielding mechanisms that bring that that create food so i was like well shit i yeah can't keep doing this unless i know how to farm so yeah that is that is how i wound up <laughs> getting into that well that's wild i'm definitely going to touch on like <laughs> the aspect of like what you end up doing in manhattan and like how you kind of learn more on that but going a bit backwards sure i mean you first became vegan in high school and then started, th like, that's when the wheels started turning. I think what's really intriguing about that is that I think about my high school days, I think for a lot of people, your mind is almost, like, geared to being so frivolous and kind of just ego-driven, but that's a very different way of thinking. Like, how does one even, I know it sounds like a bit of a joke, but how does one go about becoming vegan in high school? You did high school in the Midwest, right? Uh, no, I grew up yeah. in Connecticut, actually. Connecticut. Oh, yeah. that you know. Yeah, yeah I, I try not to flaunt it. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not really a point of pride. Was it tough, though, <laughs> being vegan in high school? Because I um, can only imagine... I mean, I went vegan my senior year, and I'll admit it, it actually came from a, a diet book. Yeah. Um, there's this book called Skinny Bitch. Uh, that, Great fucking title. Yeah, yeah, it's a little problematic. Um... <laughs> nowadays but my mom had it laying around the house she's always been really she she was doing avocado toast before it was cool because oh. it was like an alternative to butter that you put on toast she's just she's she's really into health and and i used to make fun of her a lot um, <laughs> as a kid but um 
Yeah, so she had this book laying around the house, and it was around New Year's, and not only in high school are you frivolous, but you're also really, you think about your appearance a lot, especially as a female, I don't know, I was sort of a weird kid in grade school, didn't have a lot of friends, I don't know, I was always a little bit, a little bit nerdy. I'm an only child, so I would like go off onto my own little projects, and I stumbled across this book, and for the first time at age 17, kind of put two and two together, that I chicken breast is a chicken and milk comes from a cow and so all of these things don't just show up like there there are um got to do a lot you've got to manipulate a lot to get these products that we consider ingredients but they they come from animals and I grew up with a dog who I really loved um and as I was reading this book and looking over it at my dog Ziggy and I was like well shit I would never eat you why would I want to eat other animals because I can clearly see the consciousness and the emotions you know that that this dog has you, oh. every dog you pass on the street you can look into their eyes and you're like oh they're thinking something yeah. you know um so why wouldn't the same hold true for other animals so it just i don't know it made sense for me but um i if it doesn't make sense for other people that's cool too um oh. we've all got to do what makes us feel good in the world. I know it sounds like an absurdly obvious question, and I've been fortunate to know a good amount of <coughs> vegan people in my life, but I don't think I've really been able to ask this in such a direct way. But oh boy. What, what do you think it was that made you want to go vegan rather than vegetarian? And there is obvious like differences, but like, what do you think it was that made you lean more towards that way rather than the opposite? Um, Not the opposite, but the other aspects. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I've my, my focus for veganism has always been ethically driven um, and it's it's kind of nice that you asked that question because I, I really try not to shove this down other people's throats um, I have I have friends who are a lot more militant than I am and I just don't think it's an effective way to get people to see your still sort of radical way of eating and viewing the world but um, just just realizing the inherent cruelty in animal um, Byproducts. So, um, with with eggs, um, I I quite yeah. I'll, I'll get into it. Sure. Um, so oh. eggs. Um, there is no way to know ahead of time from when chicks are born to know if they're male or female. And if they're male, they are worthless in the industry um, because they can't produce eggs. So they are more often than not um, ground up alive. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's a little jarring, um, and that holds true for large factory farming operations as well as smaller, like backyard chicken um, sources. Um, uh, with with dairy, um, cows work the same way as other mammals, so they work the same way as humans, where they have to be impregnated in order to produce milk. Um, so that is often, I, I not often. Um, 99.99% of the time done with artificial insemination, so it's forceful, um, and uh, at birth the cows are separated from the mothers because the milk has to go towards humans, um, and, and our desires, so you, you are causing deep trauma for animals and, and mothers that are, you know, function really on the same biological um, needs and desires as, as humans in a lot of ways um, and just yeah so knowing about that trauma just kind of bummed me out um, and was strong enough for me to want to move away from that and I'm, I'm not perfect like I was 
vegetarian maybe for the like more vegetarian than vegan for the first couple years um and made a lot of concessions for desserts because you can you can go out to eat and you can get a vegan meal pretty easily but at the end of a meal you want something sweet you want dessert and it's just not there um but it's there a lot more now but i, I still i still I, I think it's important to eat in culture just as much in ethics so uh, I went to New Orleans for a wedding in October, and yeah, I ate some beignets, and they were amazing. <laughs> and not vegan, but they're really good at two in the morning after you've been drinking. I so, bet they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, just going a bit in the cultural element, I mean, I think something that's fortunate of being here in New York and just being in a metropolitan area in general is you get a sense of, info, a wealth of information you probably wouldn't get in a non-metropolitan area. I, I know that could sound a bit contentious, but I think that's kind of true. Hearing you talk about um, those elements of like different facts of um, with eggs and chicks and milk and I mean I know those are just like small examples there's a bunch more but it does make me think in my head like how crazy it is that you're not taught that as a kid and it's kind of like how yeah. you have to learn that in alternative means. I mean that's true of so many things in this world. Yeah. Right? Like we're not taught our our true history as as nations and we're not really taught about like sex ed and the way that we should be taught about sex ed and all these big things um yeah yeah the education education system just yeah. losses over i mean since you've been doing this for a couple of years now do you feel like you've noticed people becoming more readily educated and things like this without a doubt um there's been a really massive shift i've been vegan for 10 and 10 and a half years now and there's been a huge shift where um yeah, before I used to go to a restaurant and say, I'm vegan, what do you have? And people would recommend like the gluten-free options. <laughs> like that is not the same thing. Um, uh, in terms of alternative uh, dairy products, massive gains. Um, alternative meat products like the Beyond Burger, the Impossible Burger, really cool. There's like a lot of science, I think, on our side. And um, I think a lot of that stems it's interesting um, to kind of pinpoint why veganism has taken off and I think so much of it has to do not with ethics as much or with the climate impact of the livestock industry but just people people going back to that book Skinny Bitch or other <laughs> books that have come out that are like go vegan and you'll be perfect forever or like you'll never age or you, know, you can go off all your medications and you'll never be depressed and just everything is perfect and a lot of people buy that. I bought that. Um, I think it's really misleading and frustrating that it's being billed as the silver bullet to just solve all of your human bodily problems. But um, it, I, I think the more vegetables people eat and the more just whole foods that people can eat, um, generally the better you feel. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's another thing that intrigues me all about you, because along with farming, you're also quite a nutritionist. Like, you understand nutrition a lot. I would say more so than the average person tends to. I try. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put the nutritionist label as though, like, as though it's your profession, but, like, you do understand nutrition in quite a very well-rounded way, I would say, just from the offset. And I think what's really interesting with that is I've definitely known vegans where they don't have that education of nutrition where they think it's like, well, I'm eating french fries and that's vegan, but it's like, it's not, yeah, it's not really productive. When did you find yourself uh, educating yourself on nutrition and why did you find that to be important? Um, 
it's I, I grew up with it. My mom, she just, she's such a, she's like a nutrition, an amateur nutrition scholar and would be, like when I was growing up, I would get french fries and I would get, catch up with the french fries and she'd be like, oh, that's a great source of lycopene. It only comes out when you cook the, when you cook tomatoes and it's this wonderful anti-cancer nutrient. And I'm like, mom, I don't care. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm seven and I want, I want my ketchup with my So you never had a choice in that regard. Not really, but I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And, and I, I was actually just talking about this with a friend yesterday of um, how, I don't know, I think maybe some people are just more attuned to how they feel on a day-to-day -day basis where I, my friend is a dancer and a farmer, so she's definitely aware of her body, but um, it's like if, if you don't feel good, if you like ate a massive meal and then you have to go use your brain at work, or um, you haven't stretched in like two weeks, you just feel a little bit sluggish. Um, yeah, I, I think that's sort of how I, I came to learn more about nutrition, um, but, and I, I don't know if nutrition is a great way to start eating healthy it's not very interesting like once you start talking about like vitamin needs um i just yeah i i don't know if it'll captivate anyone's attention like if you hold up a carrot and you're like this is a great source of beta carotene you're like cool what's <laughs> that like what is my body what does my body need with beta carotene um yeah, does that make sense? It does, but I guess that's kind of where the fun lies, where yeah. I guess relaying information to people in that regard, and also within yourself, is you could probably also think about the the actual functionality of that vitamin or what it's going to do, where it's like, yeah, here's this vitamin that you might never heard the word of, but this is why it might help you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and I'm, truthfully, I've gotten a little bit more into this in the past couple months or past year or so. Um, quite frankly, I so I, I've been thinking a lot about hormone health lately. Um, I went off birth control about a year ago and started actually thinking about how my, my body functions and how your hormones really control a huge amount of what your body does on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it sort of forced me to look at certain food groups and how they can help help female systems to feel better throughout different parts of the month or cycle, but um, yeah, I don't know how, I, I just don't know if that's the best way to go about eating, <laughs> like to think about your meal in such, such rigid ways, um, definitely sucks the fun out of it, and food is, food is so social too, you know? It definitely um, is. Social and delightful and beautiful, and, and yeah. You know, it's pretty wild, and I hope it's not like too intrusive to ask more about this but that's kind of illuminating to me i guess i would have never thought about food playing such a big role in like i mean obviously with hormones but like coming off birth control and then having your body shift in that way how food could play a role in that i guess i would have never thought about that yeah and neither neither would i um i think we're <laughs> until, until not that long ago you just um but i i was sort of making some some parallels between farming systems and body systems um, where so I've I've really only worked in organic agriculture um, which uh, which implies no genetically modified organisms as seed sources or no um, synthetic chemical additives throughout any point in the process of growing food um, so 
with organic farming, you're sort of forced to zoom out and to find holistic solutions to um, any any problems that you're noticing, nutri nutrient deficiencies in the soil, um, uh, disease that you're encountering with crops, um, pest problems, and and like organic farming plays a long game. There there are no fast fixes where you just spray a field with with um, Roundup or some other sort of um, pesticide or herbicide, and you eradicate the problem. Um, and so, as I was farming, I was thinking about, yeah, just just my my body and um, how women, so many women, take a pill once a day and don't think about it, but it's just kind of like smooths out all the like bumpy edges of whatever may be malfunctioning in your system. Um, and and I just yeah, sort of realized that I, I didn't want to be doing that. Um, and so it's it has sort of forced me to, to play a longer game with how like I think about health or like what my skin is up to, but um, I, I think it's, I think we're also in a weird renaissance in, in terms of moving away from medication in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I think that could only be a positive. Um, yeah. Going back to agriculture, because yeah. there's so much I want to ask you in that regard. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the stuff that you've studied and how you went about it. And I definitely want to hear you talk a bit about New Orleans, because that's a place that I know a bit about. I've never been, but like I don't go. It seems really lovely. <laughs> but uh, how does one go about getting a job in agriculture after leaving school? Like, how did you find that as a journey? It's weird and challenging. I think you've got to find what really interests you and go after it. And there are some sacrifices that often need to be made. Um, for instance, it is not a well-paying industry in the slightest unless you get into the weirder food or food food tech. Um, yeah, the food tech world that, that is really making its some headway in agriculture, but um, there's a really wonderful website called Good Food Jobs that has been the source of just about every single job that I've had after college, um, and and it's cool because it's it's nationwide. Actually, it might be international at this point, but um, you can you can just see what's out there even if you're not looking for a job. I have a. a um, uh, notification turned on where I get emails whenever there are new jobs in the area and I can just see like what's up in the food world whether it's agriculture related or restaurant related um, that's a really helpful thing and, and also to just it's, it's kind of like any industry you've just got to know people sometimes yeah. um, and you've got to network and and um, schmooze on occasion um, and and um, advocate for yourself. Um, it's an industry, especially in urban areas, where um, there's sort of this mindset that like, you should be so lucky to have any sort of job um, in agriculture, where you are getting your hands in soil or you, you're doing something physical um, related to growing food that um, we're going to pay you $15 an hour. And it's like, yeah, that's great. I'm really happy to have this job, but I also live in New York City along with everyone else, and that's that's just you can't have a real life on that amount of money. So, um, knowing your worth, even if you're doing something that that is manual labor for all intents and purposes, which um, 
is skilled labor too. Um, uh, yeah, I could I could go on about that. Um, there's been a lot of um, it's been interesting in, in, in my family. My my parents uh, met working really corporate jobs and have always sort of worked in, in corporate like proper proper places um, and. I've had this sort of winding career where I was I was working for this big catering company and they really approved of that. But then once I left to um, start farming, uh, they were like, "What? What are you doing? What are you doing? This isn't real work. Like you're not you're not using all your skills and you're not actually doing something of meaning." And I felt so much more fulfilled by being able to see my progress at the end of the day. Like even if it's just like hand weeding a bed that's been totally overtaken by gallon soap, which is a weed that's really popular in this area. Um, I'm someone who's really driven by being able to see what I've done at the end of the day and feel it in my body and also know that it's to be able to have a, a tangible, uh, just, just know where my work is going. Um, I'm doing some communications work right now for um, a Nonprofit organic certifier, and it's really cool. I believe in their mission, but like the satisfaction is not as strong for me because I'm just typing things away at a computer and you know doing different email campaigns or fundraising campaigns. And I'm just like, where is it going? I don't know who's reading this. Whereas with growing food, you know that you're you're solving you're solving a problem. <laughs> you're feeding yeah. you're feeding hunger. Um, it's awesome. I love it. I yeah. I definitely empathize in like what you were talking about in regards to your parents. I think it's wild to me, and not to like say anything <laughs> negative about your parents, but no, it's fine. It's, well, <laughs> They're it's, good people. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Complicated it's just, people. <laughs> it's pretty interesting because I understand it from a aspect of like money and like thinking about long term and all that. But it's interesting in terms of like how ideally you'd always want your kids to do something that's practical and contributing to the world. And arguably speaking, you couldn't do anything more practical in the things that you do. Yeah, yeah. I I feel the same way, but they their perspective they they both grew up kind of lower middle class, um, and then fought their way up and same with my parents. Yeah, yeah. And I think they just kinda wanna keep that momentum going and I, I think they just they worry that I might be uncomfortable at some point or another. Um, yeah. So it comes from love, understandably. Totally, totally. Yeah. And there's just been some education involved. Um, and I, I think my mom is definitely more on board than my dad, but um, they're interested. Yeah, well, in good. regards to miseducation, yeah. I mean, we kind of, I brought it up like right when we started about mm -hmm. like how what really intrigued me to talk to you is the fact that no, so many, most people in my summer grade don't know anything about farming. Mm. What do you think is like a common misconception or a misconception that you tend to get a lot when people find out what you do? Because I imagine you must hear <laughs> pretty much a lot of pseudoscience and wrongness from people who think they know anything about what you do. Hmm. It's a common misconception. There are so many. Um, <laughs> Where do we even start? Uh, I mean, when I was working, so I, I worked for two seasons at the Queens County Farm Museum, which is a, a very, very old piece of land, um, basically on Long Island, but still technically um, part of New York City. Um, the land has been in cultivation since the 1600s, so it's really rich soil, it's amazing, um, but it's, it's New York City parks and rec land, so it's open to the public all the time. and. Uh, 
there was a, an all-female farm crew last season, and oh, wow. there are also, so because it's open to the public, there are a lot of like field trips that come in, a lot of school groups, um, and there'd be so many little kids just like, whoa, it's a lady farmer! <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, are you a real farmer? And you're like, yeah, I'm doing the thing. Um, well, that's correct. I don't mean to jump in, but it's like, yeah, for people listening who might not have been raised in the States, if you're in the States <laughs> and the imagery of farming you get in schooling, it's usually just like an old guy. Yeah, yeah, it's like an old white guy, which is which is really true. There's, oh, what is the statistic? It's like 80% or so of... Actually, no, I'm not going to throw out false statistics. That's not a good look for a podcast, but the... Um, the population that we think of as farmers is rapidly aging out, so there's a real need, and and the need is, is starting to be filled by younger farmers who um, are coming in and shaking up the the way that things have been done. Um, oh man, other misconceptions. Um, uh, maybe that the farming is simple um that you just put a seed in the ground and and it just grows without fail um or maybe that that farmers don't have to plan um or or really think um but i'm i'm finding myself i'm, I'm in this new role um in addition to my other job because it's new york city you've always got more than one yeah. um where i'm planning a, a brand new rooftop garden um at an apartment building in flushing queens and creating the crop plan is like making my brain do cartwheels and like spinning in circles. It's just, there's so many different factors um, in terms of what you're going to grow, how you're going to grow it, um, what equipment do you have, what's your budget. Um, it's, it's like, what's your market? Um, or maybe if you have a target market, is it viable? Do people actually want what you, um, what you are growing? Um, it's, it's like anything. It's like any massive project. Um, or small project where you you just have to step carefully um, and and there's a lot of uh, yeah 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 I'll stop there for well, now. <laughs> what really intrigued me about um, uh, what you just said now it kind of reminded me about how I uh, felt a couple minutes back when you brought up the, the fact that what you love about your job is that you're always learning new things I mean I found myself in a moment of ignorance because I, my instinct in my mind, my brain kind of went like, oh, almost like in terms of like, I wouldn't have thought that. And what you just said about with this new project, it kind of goes into that, that there are always new challenges and things like that to consider. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, was that surprising for you when you figured, when you were learning that throughout working in agriculture? Because I imagine that's not something that's so obvious from the outside. Hmm. It's just that they're, they're there's new information to always be processing? I or? guess new information to utilize or new different processes to like make your job not easier but new things to go about it because I guess the thing that would make people to be lead people to be ignorant about agriculture is that since it's been going on for as long as humans have existed I guess so so many people would find themselves thinking that there's always a set way to do things no matter what but yeah. I guess it is always changing like you just said. Yeah I mean there are definitely certain guidelines um that, that you follow more more so on um, when to grow certain crops, um, just what your climate, your local climate is like, and what different crops, the sort of weather that different crops like. Um, and but farmers are um, the good ones anyway. They're they they think like engineers, frankly. Um, 
where they're just they're always tinkering and they're always trying to come up with better ways to do something um, or ways to cut costs um, or ways to ways to farm on a small scale that don't totally wreck your body after 10 years um, and I think that we're at a really cool time right now where um, and and sort of because of social media for better or worse where um, farmers are able to share new ideas um, in terms of how they're doing things and something something that I really love about it um, is that you can be really data-driven with agriculture um, like you can time yourself on how long it takes to do a task and you can figure out you know okay so how much um, how how much money did I just lose um, of my time and my my hours into this this one crop and then am I getting the return on that crop and you can like you can really start to get extremely precise um, in in your day-to-day -day and even just your um, your small tasks like um, thinking about how to transplant crops in a way that that is so you, you have little starter plants and how to set them in the soil and and think about like really small things that you could do with your hands or like a way to bend your knee that will make the process go like five minutes faster and then all of that adds up over time um there yeah there's just always ways to learn and improve and and i think we're also seeing um a, a hearkening back to old old tools actually that have been forgotten about or like um smaller tractors that are built for smaller smaller scale um operations and for, for less cost so yeah yeah we have this cool kind of hybrid right now where we're looking to the past but also getting like really precise with technology um not only bodily technology but tools too yeah that's mind-blowing to me we just yeah, that's right? almost of a sales pitch <laughs> you really kind of want to get into it because it just Wow. But uh, it doesn't have to be that precise either, or large scale, or even planned. Like the very cool thing about food and and nature and seeds is that like life wants to grow, um, and that's especially true when you think about weeds. Um, you know, cultivating is something that every farmer has to do, and it's pretty impressive. You can choose to view weeds as a source of frustration or you can be like whoa look at this look at this thing that I didn't even ask for that's like blowing up my field that's impressive so oh. you can anybody anybody can throw a seed in the ground or get a cutting from a friend's plant and throw it in the windowsill um, oh. it can be really haphazard too I love that you appreciate the science of what you do <clears throat> yeah it's a necessity yeah. of the gig for I sure I think that's really worth it um, <laughs> I have a couple more questions and one of the biggest and I've thought about this for quite a while so kind of excited when I knew we'd be talking but oh um, well <laughs> I think it's kind of a no-brainer but like it's interesting to think I mean obviously there's so many people who definitely do agriculture here in New York in a city and in like metropolitan areas but I think so many people would find and they're thinking that the lifestyles and you kind of limited talked about this a bit earlier but the lifestyles kind of go against each other where they're not like as many parallels what so basically like what is it like being a farmer in a city like this like what's it like having that lifestyle mm. in a place here? Mm. um i don't know if it's as far flung as we think that it is um <clears throat> something that fascinated me really early on in being being like a, a little 
early 20-something year old working in the city. Um, I was I was working for this farm that had the CSA and I was delivering food all over the city. I was riding passenger side in a truck and in all sorts of loading docks to distribute this food. Um, and you, you start to realize that there is a whole impressive and strong system of um, distribution in cities because we just because we we live in this place that doesn't have a lot of space doesn't mean that we don't need our things like you know we're all getting things on Amazon um, we all go to bodegas and there's this whole like I, I don't know it just fascinates me that there's this distribution network of people who are driving trucks from Hunts Point in the Bronx and bringing that food down into Brooklyn and bringing it off of the truck and into a bodega like I guess what I'm saying is that there's um, it, it seems like people in the city only work office jobs like we it's this metropolitan intellectually minded place but there's a there are a lot of people who are not doing that work and who are making the city run and working really hard with their bodies to make the city run. And so farming felt like the same, the same way. Um, and I think too about all of the construction that's going on in the city. It's really like at the end of the day, you feel the same way. Like your body's tired, you're covered in shit, um, you're offending some people on public transit, probably, you're hungry, you feel like you could fall asleep immediately. Um, so in that sense, <clears throat> there was some solidarity, but socially definitely got to like find the people who get it because many of my friends um, don't work in agriculture, they, they don't work in restaurant kitchens, they work behind a desk or they freelance, um, and so they're clean and comfortable <laughs> a lot of the time. and. They're, uh, they're not exhausted um, at the end of the day or they don't have to wake up at 5.30 in the morning. So um, yeah, yeah, finding, finding that balance can be, can be tough. Um, yeah, I kind of want to touch on that sol element of solidarity. <laughs> like a lot of the work I've done has been uh, within production. And yeah. one of the things that I've loved about that world that I wouldn't have thought of until I got into it is Wait, that, what sort of production? Uh, like video production, particularly like commercials, but like TV and film and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And something that blew me away throughout the years of doing that is how it's such a particular type of work environment that there is this innate solidarity within your coworkers and mm -hmm. like your partners and the people you work with. Um, is that something that you love in regards to what you do? I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but I kind of want to hear you talk a bit more about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, more so with the with the farming world than um, I spent a little bit of time last season helping to build a pretty big farm in Sunset Park um, with Brooklyn Grange and that was more like hardcore construction work and I didn't feel the same solidarity at all but I was I was working with them um, I don't know it was like a wide variety of people and I'm a lot, sure I read about that a lot of dudes yeah yeah, yeah they they have a massive new farm that um, should be really neat to see but. There, there's a lot of solidarity, um, and sort of like a, um, yeah, it's just always helpful to have people in your community who like, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good segue. Yeah. Um, who know how you feel at the end of the day, or like the particular muscle aches that you've got, or, um, 
I don't know. I, I miss working working with more kitchen people on a regular basis because that community is can be really brash. Um, it can be it's it, yeah yeah brash. I guess is the word. Um, yeah. And I had a lot of fun working in that way. And uh, now that I'm in an office four days a week, it's it's felt pretty tough to like just sit still and sit quietly. Um, whereas with, with farming or with production, you've got a lot of downtime or you're just like always around people and you're always talking. Um, and you know, like anything can come up, um, especially with agriculture, you get to know the people that you work with, whether you want to or not, because you're working shoulder to shoulder all day. Um, just like sometimes doing very small things with your hands. Um, so when you're, when you're with people, talking 40 hours a week pretty yeah. much um you get to know them yeah. yeah that's been on my mind too because like with the office job i'm working now it's that's definitely been on my mind because uh it's like you say like in a place like production you do you're forced to like interact with people and like you know i think something i never recognized within those moments that i definitely took for granted was the element of like how because a lot of people would consider it like unconventional like those type of work environments mm -hmm. there's a sense of freedom that i feel like you don't get within most office settings yeah so whenever i'm in an office i do tend <clears throat> to have like a switch that goes off where i'm like I have to be this way and talk this way and mm -hmm. be whatever kind of version of myself that's like office me <laughs> but yeah it's just really something else to know that there's an opposite world that exists yeah yeah um and i don't know if you felt like like when you're on set you feel like you can be your full self like if you have something rude to say or like something funny to say you can say it yeah whereas in an office you're just like mm, wow it's sunny out today mm, you know <laughs> like that's that's like the most interaction that you get sometimes with people if you don't depending on what environment you're in um then that that works for some people i don't know so many people can like like you're sort of doing right now like you can go in and just like clock the hours and then go out and then live what you actually want to be doing outside of work. And, uh, I do think something that tends to be cool of offices though is that you tend to always find at least one or two people who kind of feel similar or get it. Yeah, yeah. Where like that person you kind of get to have like those, I guess those water cooler conversations mm -hmm. where you're just kind of like, I, my, I'm making a face because on Friday I literally had a conversation at a water cooler and I didn't realize I actually <laughs> did that. <laughs> what, so. what'd you talk about at the water cooler? Uh... It's actually a funny story. He wouldn't be listening to this. There's no way. But this How guy, do you know? Yeah, I don't know. There's this guy I've gotten on with really well. Uh, he's uh, he's Dominican and he lives in Washington Heights. And I used to live there, so we like talk a lot about that. Mm -hmm. And he invited me on a trip. Like he's going to Montreal or something. Like yeah. But it's one of those cool. things where I've maybe had like five or six conversations with him. He invited me on a trip, and I was just like, I don't know you. Are, are you gonna go? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I'm not entirely sold on it, but it felt nice. Like, he yeah. likes me enough that he invited me on a random ass trip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that always feels good. Yeah, it's nice. It's like, <laughs> I, I like to use that barometer as um, the, oh, he doesn't think I'm a murderer test. Yeah. It's like, oh, he invited me on a trip. He doesn't think I'm a murderer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would go beyond that. He thinks you are worthwhile <laughs> spending, like, a weekend with or something. That's nice. Uh, before you, um, I let you go, and thanks again for taking the time to chat. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, I figured yeah. it would be, but it's nice to know it actually ended up being as fun <laughs> as I imagined it being. Uh, tell me that's something about what you do, or the farming industry. I mean, more in regards to what you do, but tell me something that you wish people knew that they don't know. 
or something that people are quite uninformed by they think is kind of important. Mm-hmm. And you can get soapboxy, it's okay. Okay. You can definitely get soapboxy if you want. Okay. Um, oh, that's sort of hard. <laughs> I, I think I... That was I, one of the hard questions. Yeah. I just want... Um, I want everyone to have some sort of experience with... Um, with the limitations of seasonality. So what what is available nearby um, during different points of the growing season, um, I think it can be really transformative to taste a, taste a tomato in August that comes from, you know, let's say like a 300 mile radius of your city. Um, versus a tomato that you get at the grocery store in February that is like just flavorless and like beige. Um, I I want everyone, I, I wish everyone could have have just like a closer viewpoint to how food is how food is made and where the raw ingredients come from and just to witness the process from from seed to seedling to transplant um, and and all of the different ways that that single crop is manipulated to create, say, the tomato, which is really just like has a massive life cycle um, and requires a huge amount of effort um, on the part of people who grow it. Um, so that's that's one thing, but I, I, I think maybe my biggest takeaway is to just like just trace trace back the food that you're eating. There was a really cool article in, I think, Grub Street, maybe about a month ago, where um, these two food writers tried to trace back the source of everything that they ate in a day, um, like starting with a bodega sandwich um, and on through the rest of the day and to just like find out where the eggs came from, like who made the rolls um, and and backwards and forwards in all directions and I think that that can be really powerful just to just to think that um, just to not take anything for granted you know um, there's a lot of work that goes into every single thing that exists in this world and I think that's something that I'm realizing more and more as I grow up or whatever it's just like nothing just appears um, there are a lot of decisions that have to be made to make that thing happen um, and a lot of effort and um, different options weighed and trade-offs and um, yeah yeah maybe maybe gratitude <laughs> I don't know everyone should have more gratitude there we go it was really beautiful <laughs> what you just said is a lot of the way you were talking about food just now and like the way you want people to experience it it kind of made me think about the way people talk about traveling or what traveling could do for people at seeing different destinations and mm-hmm. then I thought to myself it's really interesting how that's what you would expect from people talking about destinations yet in regards to food it's like something that's not as common and it's kind of funny considering the fact that food and you brought this earlier too is that something we consume every day mm-hmm. there should be an intimate relationship with what we consume like, yeah there should be a sense of wonderment yeah wonderment that's a really good way to put it but um, we don't we don't really I don't know, we don't live in a time of wonderment as much anymore. Um, there's, yeah, we live in a really impersonal age, so... But that can change. I like to believe it can change. I, I think so, too, and I think, I think, um, yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, but everyone has their own sense of wonderment, so 
if it's not food, maybe it's maybe it's music, or maybe you really want to invest a lot of money into and, and thought into like where your clothes are coming from, or um, the the bowls that like hold your cereal in the morning. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I guess in regards to food, I guess the value in that relationship, and I think a lot of people could. I think what's really cool about the way you just said all that, it's like, it's illuminating. It's like, it makes me want to think differently about food when I almost find myself wondering, why did I not already? So, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And also, thanks. That's the end of the talk. All right, Yeah, cool. we did it. Woo! Yeah, you survived. How do you feel? Good. I feel like I want to keep hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> Please do.